Great to see you in the house uh, today. Hey, why don't you get your Bible and open up with me to 1 Corinthians is where we're going to be today. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, several weeks ago, I was going off on a business trip. And so it was the night before I was getting all packed. And then I sat down uh, to watch some TV with my wife. And I noticed it was, it was starting to get a little, get a little kind of stuffy in the house. It was about eight o'clock at night. It was getting a little stuffy. I said, does it feel a little stuffy? She goes, yeah. So I went over to the thermostat and it was 78 degrees and going up. And I thought, uh-oh, this, this is not good, all right? This is not good. It should not be that hot and getting hotter. And so we did all the things you normally do. You feel at the vents. Is it cool? Is it hot? What do you think? Is it coming out? We're doing all the diagnostics. And sure enough, we thought we got AC problems. So we had to call somebody. Well, by 9 o'clock at night, nobody is out making house calls at 9 o'clock at night. And so we do talk to a lady. She said, we'll get somebody out there tomorrow, but no can do for tonight. And so our house was like a huge wind tunnel. We had all the fans going, you know, uh, trying to stay cool during the night. And then of course I'm off for my trip. And so Liz made a comment. She said, and it's so true. She said, every time you leave town, there's always an issue. <laughs> and that's true. Something breaks, the car breaks, the washer won't work. AC is broken. I mean, just, you can count on it. If I say I'm going on a trip, something's going to break down. There's always an issue. And, and let me tell you, issues are all around us, right? We've got issues, whether they're global issues that we hear about or societal issues or family issues, we all have some of that. Or personal issues, we all have them. And uh, some people think, man, if I could just get to a church, there, there aren't any issues there, right? Because the church is filled with perfect people. Is that right? <laughs> what, what are you laughing about? You know, I, yeah, I mean, when you get there, it's just people like us. And we all have issues is what we have. And so uh, I talk to people and they bounce around from church to church because they can't seem to resolve the issues. And I talk to pastors that are discouraged because they can't seem to deal with their issues. And so we, we all deal with them, right? And so what we're going to do is we're going to, we're going to start a study in a book of the Bible, 1 Corinthians, that will be in it for about two, two months. And we're going to be looking at the issues in this church. Uh, this is one of the earliest churches uh, where we have uh, uh, one of the first letters ever written is to this church. Uh, and uh, what we're going to find out is it's full of problems, full of issues. And I, and I hope that this is an encouraging thing for you because so many times when we do have problems in our family, where you are going through hard times, it's easy to think, well, I'm the only one that's going through this or I'm the only one that's having these problems. Everybody, look around, all these people in the church, they got their whole act together. I'm the only one that doesn't have their act together. And that would be wrong, right? We all deal with these things. And so I think as we study, you're going to start to learn, wow, man, they were dealing with this stuff all the way back in the beginning. Well, I guess what I want you to take away is we have issues, but God has solutions. And we're going to look at what God's solutions are for our everyday problems in this study. Okay? So once you get your Bible, once you open it up with me uh, to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and we're just going to begin in verse 1. Okay? 1 Corinthians 1, verse 1. And this is the Word of God. Amen? Paul, called an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God at Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called as saints 
with all those in every place who call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both their Lord and ours, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now stop right there for just a minute. Whenever you have a problem, whenever you have an issue, first thing you probably do is you call someone to fix it, right? Or you send off an email or you shoot off a text. You do something to communicate, to resolve it. Uh, but of course, in the ancient world, they, didn't, they couldn't do that. They didn't have texts, they didn't have phone calls. And, and so if you were not there, then the best you could do was to send a letter. And this is really what we're studying here. The book, we call it the book of 1 Corinthians, is really not a book in the sense of, well, I'm gonna sit down and write a book uh, once upon a time, blah, blah, blah. No, no, no. This is actually a letter. Most of the books of the New Testament are what we call epistles, which means they are letters. They are correspondence, real letters written by real pastors to real churches with real problems. And so that's what we're dealing with here. This is an actual correspondence between a pastor and a church, okay? And typically in ancient times, they would format their letters in a very particular way. They would start off with who writes a letter, who the letter is to, usually some type of typical greeting, and then the body of the letter. And so you're going to find that this follows that same pattern, much like many of the other epistles in the New Testament. So the first three verses are really what I call the setup. It's going to tell you who's writing it, who's receiving it, a little greeting before we get into the body of it. So we're going to look at that in the first three verses that we just read. And then verses four through nine, he's going to talk about the grace of God. Okay. So let's just uh, look at the setup here. Let's, let's look at the author. Who is writing this letter? And so I want you to circle the name Paul. Right off the bat, first word, Paul. Who is Paul? Paul was a Jewish leader who was very hostile against the church, very hostile against Christians. In fact, he took it on himself to go even to other cities and towns and to persecute Christians, put them in jail. And that happened until he had an encounter with the risen Christ. Jesus had already died on the cross. He had already been raised from the dead. And he encountered the apostle Paul on the way to the road to Damascus in Syria. And there he saw the Lord. He was... Uh, sent to his knees, he was confronted with his sin, and he, and he became a follower of Christ. I mean, he was hating the church, and now he's promoting the church. He was persecuting Christians, and now he's preaching the gospel like that because of this encounter, this incredible encounter he had with Jesus. And if you want to know more about this amazing story, you can read it in Acts chapter 9. It tells you a little bit more about Paul's conversion. So this is the man that's writing this letter. And notice what he says about himself. He's called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. Now the word apostle there means sent one. Sent one. Uh, think about it this way. When the Sanhedrin, which was the highest ruling council, highest court in Israel, whenever they would hear a case and make a decision, they would then send out their decision with a messenger called an Apollos, all right? Now this Apollos was, uh, was someone who was sent with a message from the highest court. And it, was, it wasn't just, just like any old messenger because he represented the highest court. He had great authority with it, all right? So here, this term, apostle, comes from that root word. The Lord Jesus himself used this word apostle in Mark chapter three. 
And so an apostle was one that was chosen by Jesus to send out the message of Jesus, the gospel, and had authority to found and establish the church and teach biblical truth. That's what an apostle was. And there were only, there were 12 apostles that Jesus uh, established. The apostle Paul was also an apostle. And these were the ones that wrote biblical truth, biblical uh, scripture and doctrine and so on. All those apostles are gone now and we have their testimony in the scriptures. Okay. So he is saying here, I am an apostle. I am coming. I was chosen by Christ. I come under the authority of Christ, the highest authority. Now this is going to be important because uh, as I said, this church has got a lot of issues. This church has got a lot of problems. And, and Paul's going to have to weigh in on these problems. And he's just reminding them that he has apostolic authority to do so. And by the way, it's still, his writings, the scriptures still have authority in our own lives. Hey, we're not, we're not just reading a book up here, all right? This isn't just, you know, some novel. Uh, this is the word of God. There's a reason why I say that every Sunday. This is the word of God. You know why I say that? Because I'm reminding you that this is the word of God. That it has authority in our lives. And our job is to read it, to understand it, and to follow it and obey it. All right? And so here he is saying he's an apostle of the Lord Jesus. That's who is writing this letter. Now, who is receiving the letter? We'll look at it in verse 2. Corinth. It is the church at Corinth. Now, where is Corinth? Well, Corinth is in Greece, modern-day Greece. Uh, in fact, you can go visit the ruins of Corinth uh, still today. But it is located on the southern end of Greece, uh, which is connected to the northern part of Greece by a small land bridge, or what they call an isthmus. You can see it there between Corinth and Athens. And so just picture, look at that picture. You can tell any north-south trade would have to go through Corinth. See that? To cross that land bridge and to get up to the north. You have to go through Corinth. Also, ships would port in Corinth. And many times they would offload their cargo and they would stay there. Sometimes they would carry their cargo across that isthmus, which is about three and a half, four miles, and pick up another ship and take it on around. Uh, there have even been some historical accounts of them actually transporting ships across that three and a half uh, mile isthmus. But uh, nevertheless, Corinth was a hub of activity. It was a metropolitan area. It was a port city. It was a hub of commerce, a hub of trade. It was a hub of, of entertainment. The Isthmian Games were located there in Corinth. That was second only to the Athenian Olympic Games that we still celebrate today. Um, it was a hub of uh, worship. A lot of pagan temples were there. It was kind of a, it was like your typical port city. Think of Boston, think of Seattle, think of LA, think of, you know, uh, cities like that, big cities, metropolitan areas. That was Corinth. And with it, they kind of gained a little bit of a seedy uh, reputation. Uh, there were a lot of things that were happening there uh, in Corinth. Uh, for example, uh, Aristophanes, one of the Greek playwrights, uh, coined the phrase Corinthianize to talk about something being corrupted or something seedy or something that's immoral. All right. Uh, when, by the way, note to self, when your name turns into a verb, that's not a good thing, all right? And so just, no, just note that. And so this is a, this is a, a very uh, difficult place to be. It was a, it was a very uh, 
uh, immoral place to be. In fact, they had this very ancient phrase that said, what happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. Okay, maybe that last part's not true, but the rest of it is true, all right? You get the idea. And so this is the church where the Apostle Paul decides to, I mean, this is the place where the Apostle Paul decides to plant a church. Now think about that. If I said, okay, I want you to go to this really uh, bustling city filled with pagan idols. You're the only believer there. I want you to start a church. That would be a little daunting task. Would you agree with that? And here he is. I mean, there's a lot. It's a hard place to start a church. It's a hostile place to start a church. Uh, in our Cross Creek Network, we're, this fall, we will have 21 church plants all around the world. And many of those church plants are in very hard and very hostile places. And so Paul is planting a church here. And uh, yet God is moving. If you want to read the full account of how he planted this church, you can go to Acts chapter 18. That's a good place to read about that story. But I'll just tell you that when Paul left Corinth and he came, I mean, left Athens and came to Corinth, uh, he was preaching the gospel. Many people were getting saved. Paul stayed there for a year and a half preaching the gospel. And what's remarkable is that there were two men who were leaders in the synagogue in Corinth that actually turned to faith in Christ. One of them was named Crispus, and the other one was named Sosthenes. In fact, you've just heard his name in verse 1. He was the leader of a synagogue in Corinth, and now we read about him in 1 Corinthians, and here he is with the Apostle Paul, and he's saved, and he's a brother, and he knows these people and even had authority in that region, and so they together are, are authoring this letter. Most likely, the Apostle Paul is dictating the letter. Sosthenes is writing them. It's called an amanuensis. He is writing and dictating the letter, uh, writing it down so they can be transported. So, God is moving in a powerful way in Corinth. You know, I heard recently a story from one of our church planters about some Chinese church planters that went into Phnom Penh, Cambodia. And as they went in there, they're sharing the gospel. And they shared the gospel with two Buddhist monks that were running a Buddhist temple in Phnom Penh. And both of these men came to faith in Jesus. And they were so converted that they took all the idols out of the Buddhist temple and turned it into a church. And this morning, there are over 300 people gathered in that church in the name of Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, that's, that's a phenomenal thing. Well, that's exactly what was happening in Corinth. These, these synagogue leaders now converted to faith in Jesus and the church is growing and bustling and so on. So God is moving in a powerful way. Um, the Apostle Paul leaves Corinth, goes to Ephesus. And while he's in Ephesus, he gets word from the house of Chloe. This is obviously somebody that's within the church. Uh, verse 11 mentions that. And um, the, the, he discovers that the church is having some problems. That there are some people in the church that are creating, creating divisions. Uh, that there is some immorality going on in the church. There, there's some people claiming to have some kind of supernatural wisdom. Uh, there are even people talking negatively against the Apostle Paul who started the church and discipled all of their leaders. And so there's all these issues in the church. And so Paul decides to sit down and write a letter to address these problems. And so that's what we're reading about here in 1 Corinthians, Okay. And by the way, I want you to notice in verse 3, 
uh, how he, actually in verse two, how he talks to them. He calls them saints. You see that? He calls them sanctified in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, that's, that's talking pretty nice for a church that's kind of gone AWOL a little bit. And, you know, you'd expect them to say, hey, uh, and to the knuckleheads in Corinth that can't get their act together. You know, that would be probably how I would do it. Not necessarily spirit-filled, okay? Uh, but Paul was like, hey, you know, he could have said that. He could talk down to them. He could have had fighting words off the top, but he doesn't. He goes, man, you're saints. And you've been set apart to Jesus. You know, uh, every person that follows Jesus is a saint. Saints are not just old, dead, super spiritual people, all right, that are canonized by the church. Uh, A saint is a person that has been set apart by God for Jesus. Just like when a couple gets married, they are set apart now only unto their spouse, right? In the same way, when you give your life to Christ, you're set apart to follow Christ and to love Christ and to obey Christ and to glorify Christ and to do what Christ wants you to do. You're set apart. You're a saint, And so he's saying, listen, guys, I know who you are. (laughs) You've been set apart for the Lord Jesus. I know you're a saint. You've been set apart for his work. Now, the Apostle Paul knows their problems, right? He's just, he's going to address all these problems. But he knew that there was a gap, follow me, there was a gap between their position in Jesus and their practice in their everyday life. There was a gap. And he was reminding them what their position is. Now, the truth is, I'm your pastor and I love you. There is a gap in our own lives between who we are in Christ and who we are at the office or who we are on the golf course or who we are on the ball field or who we are, you know, at school or who we are wherever we are. And and there is a gap. And, And sanctification is really... God's working in our heart to, to, to tighten the gap, to close the gap to we, so that we live more and more like Jesus and please him more and more in our daily lives. And so what he's trying to do in this book is close that gap. But he starts off uh, reminding them who they are in Jesus Christ. And then, so that's the author, then the church. Now let's just look at the greeting very quickly. Verse three, simply grace and peace. Uh, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace. Grace is the word charis, which means God's favor. Peace is uh, reminiscent of the Hebrew word peace, shalom, God's peace. Uh, This is a common greeting that Paul would use in many of his letters. But we don't want to just skip right over that because Paul is about to lean in on this idea of grace. In fact, the next few verses, verses four through nine, he's going to talk about grace. Now, why is Paul talking about grace? I I think basically what Paul is saying is this. Listen, church, I know you got a lot of issues and we're going to get into it. We're going to talk about them. But let me just remind you that whatever issue you're dealing with, it's not so big that God's grace cannot carry you through. Listen, I know that you have issues coming in this morning. Every single one of you come into this room and you've got something on your mind. You have something heavy on your heart. You have some weight on your shoulders. Some of you are coming in this morning and you're burdened for your adult children that are far from God. Some of you 
are, are just cannot sleep because of the stress that you're under at work. Some of you, you're watching your family just kind of spin out. Some of you, you're dealing with a diagnosis that is very scary. And some of you are just dealing with your own uh, struggles internally and your own identity and, and, and maybe dealing with some addiction or some depression or something like that. Every single one of us come with, with some issue that's heavy on us. And I guess what I want you to take away this morning is that whatever issue it is, it's not so big that the grace of God cannot carry you through. And that's what Paul is reminding us here. So what, what is grace anyway? Well, a, a real def, a simple definition of grace is simply this. It is God's unmerited favor. Think about grace this way. It's God's favor toward you. It's God's kindness toward you. It's God's uh, disposition of gentleness toward you. It, it, it's God's uh, inclination uh, toward you. Uh, that's God's grace. He is fond of you. He loves you. He cares about you. And so I think before we get into the details, and we're going to get into lots of details about issues, it's just good for us to stop and take a deep breath. <sighs> okay, let's all do that together. All right? Can we just do that together? On the count of three, we're all going to take a big deep breath. Ready? It's going to be good for you. You're going to be glad that you did this. Ready? On the count of three. One, two, three. And let's just remember God's grace that's more than enough to carry you through. He's going to tell us three things about God's grace. All right, jot this first thing down. First thing he's going to remind us is that you were saved by God's grace. Look at verse four. You were saved by God's grace. He said, I always thank my God for you because of the grace of God given to you in Christ Jesus. Now, I want you to look at that phrase given to you. That is in the past tense. That's in the Greek. It's aorist tense. It means it's something that happened in the past and is continuing still today. And so what Paul is saying is, listen, one thing, I'm just so thankful for you. Again, he knows all the problems, right? He's like, I'm, I'm thankful for you because when I think about you, I think about the grace that was given you in Christ Jesus. He's talking about their salvation, I mean, remember, the Apostle Paul is the one that started the church. He knows these people for a year and a half. He's been teaching them. He knows their issues already. He knows their proclivities, and he knows their challenges, and he knows their faces. And I think as he's writing this letter, it's just like flashes of images come to his mind of individuals that he led to Christ and people that he remembers when they bent their knee and they gave their life to Christ. And he's remembering these things. And it's like, listen, guys, I was there when you were saved. <laughs> Remember that you are, you belong to Jesus. Remember, let's, you know, before you get into all these issues, we need to back up and just kind of reset and remember who you are in Jesus Christ, that you have been given faith in Jesus Christ. That's where we need to start. Before we deal with our problems, where we deal with our issues that we all have, we need to uh, just remember that you've given your life to Christ. Can you remember the moment that you were saved? You remember when that happened? You remember who you were with? You remember uh, where you were the moment you asked Jesus Christ to come into your life? It's good to remember that you're a child of God, that you're born again, that you're his son and his daughter, that you're forgiven. 
And that is by the grace of God. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For you have been saved by grace, through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift. It's not from work so that no one can boast. You know, sometimes we, we get into all the issues that we're dealing with and we just need to step back and just remember who we are. Go back to the beginning. Go back to when you first gave your life to Christ and the difference that he made in your life. You're not who you used to be. I can remember being a young pastor many, many years ago and, um, and I was going through some issues in the church. I was getting discouraged. Things weren't happening the way I was hoping they would happen. And I happened to be in Lubbock, Texas, which I'm not really sure, I remember now why I was there, where I'd gone to uh, school there. And, and, and I went by the church where God called me to ministry in that church. Liz was actually saved in that church and baptized, this small little church. It wasn't a big, huge church, a small church. And, uh, and I went to the office and I said, hey, is there any way that I used to come here? Uh, is there any way that I could just sit in the auditorium for just a minute? They're like, sure, I guess. And so I went in this empty auditorium, probably about seats, about 300 people. And I just sat there by myself. And I just was pouring out my heart, my issues to the Lord. And God was just so good to remind me, Craig, remember this place? This was a place where I called you into ministry. This was a place where Liz, your wife, was saved. She was baptized right there in that baptistry. Listen, I, I'm the same God who started this whole thing. And I'm the same one that will continue it. It's not on your shoulders. I will give you the grace. Remember how you got started. I think that's what Paul is saying here. You know, he goes, I remember how you got started. I remember who you were. And it's good for us to remember how God called us into the family. Listen, there's, there, there, you did not do anything to earn God's salvation. Uh, you cannot do anything that rips his salvation out of your hands. <laughs> you are secure in him. <sighs> Big breath, all right? Just remember, it's God's grace that has saved you. And then... He tells, tells us a second thing about grace, that you're supplied by God's grace. Not only are you saved by grace, but you're supplied by God's grace. Look at verse five. He says, he said that you, may, that you were enriched in him in every way, in all speech and in all knowledge. And in this way, the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for the revelation of, Jesus, uh, of our Lord Jesus Christ. All right, uh, look at that word enriched. See that word enriched? Circle that word or underline that word. It means to be very wealthy. Now he's not saying that you are wealthy in a monetary sense, but he said you guys are wealthy in a spiritual sense. Listen, I was there when you were saved and now here's the deal. You have everything you need to walk with God. You have everything you need. Look at what he says. You have all speech. That is, I, I'm going to provide and God's going to provide for you what to say in every situation. How many times do you need to know what to say? All right. Yeah, we always do. What do I say in this situation? He will provide all speech in the moment. God's grace will. Look at what he says. All knowledge. In other words, he'll tell you what you need to do in that moment. When you don't know what to do, God will show you what to do. And he's, he's given you every spiritual gift. That is every spiritual discernment. Every spiritual uh, empowerment is yours. You have, basically what he's saying is, guys, you have everything you need to walk with God. You're not lacking anything. 
So many times we get into a, uh, uh, an issue, a problem, and we're like, man, this is just so over my head, and uh, uh, this is beyond my pay grade, and I, don't, I just can't do it, I just can't do it, I just can't do it. Yeah. And what Paul is saying is, yes, you can. By the grace of God, yes, you can. The Spirit of God will help you, yes, you can. The Spirit of God will give you what you need to know in the moment. The Spirit of God will show you what to say in the moment. He will empower you with every gift that you need for the moment uh, to walk and live for him. My God, Paul said in Philippians, my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. How many needs will he supply? All of your needs. Peter says the same thing in 1 Peter 1.3. His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us uh, by his own glory and goodness. Everything you need. Hey, listen to me. Are you in a conflict? Are you struggling uh, with an issue? Are you afraid? Are you feeling uncertain about your life? Or are you overwhelmed with life right now? Are you fraught with anxiety? Listen, our God will supply all your needs. If you are in Christ, his spirit is within you. He will give you everything you need to live the life that pleases him. Now you say, well, wait a minute. How will I know if I'm gonna have all that in the future? Well, he, he doesn't promise it for the future. He just promises it for right now, right? So I get up in the morning and say, Lord, I'm over my head. I, I don't know that I can make it today. Lord, fill me with your spirit. Lord, help me just for today. And the next day, you get up in the morning and say, Lord, I'm over my head. I don't know what I can, God, fill me with your spirit. And you, Lord, fill me for what I need just for today. And he will do it. He will do it. It's good to take a breath and just remember. Uh, his grace has saved you. His grace will supply everything you need, no matter what issues you're dealing with right now. In fact, Jesus came to the Apostle Paul and he said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. Listen, God's grace is still sufficient. It's still enough for you today. And then the last thing he said is this, you're saved by his grace, you're supplied by his grace, but here's another one, you're secure in God's grace. I love this, look at verse eight. You're secure, look at verse eight. He will also strengthen you to the end so that you will be blameless in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. You were, you were called by him into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Underline the phrase in verse eight, to the end. That's really important. To the end. In other words, God's going to sustain you and he's going to take care of you and he's going to secure you all the way to the end. To the end of what? To the end of life. To the end of time. I mean, all the way to heaven. He's going he's to take care of you. There's never going to be a time when you're separated from the grace of God. There's never going to be a time when you're cut off from the grace of God. There's never going to be a time when God says, okay, man, I'm so done with you. You're just on your own now. No, no, no. No, if you are in Christ and his spirit is within you, he will carry you to the very end. In fact, look at what he says. When you get to the end, he said, you will be found blameless in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you stand before God, you're gonna be blameless. You're like, how in the world can I be blameless? I know who I am. I know what I've done. I know my past. I know my history. I know all my issues. Yeah, yeah, but, but you see, Jesus is taking care of that. 
at the cross at Calvary. All your sin was put on Christ and he died full final payment for your sin. And now he sees you through his grace, through the lens of his grace. That's why you're called a saint. That's why you're sanctified. You're set apart for Jesus. And at, he will carry you and secure you all the way to the end till you stand before the Lord Jesus himself. What a great promise. And then I love it, it almost to put an exclamation point on it. He says, uh, look at it, verse nine. God is faithful. God's faithful. Can we just say that together out loud? God is faithful. Ready? One, two, three. God is faithful. Let's say it one more time. God is faithful. You can trust him. Listen, you can trust him. He's faithful. He has saved you. Uh, he's faithful. He will supply you everything you need. He's faithful. He will carry you and secure you all the way to the very end. God is faithful. And look at, what he, look at what he says. And he has called you into fellowship with his son, Lord Jesus. He's called you into fellowship with him. You know, that word fellowship is an interesting word. Uh, it can mean cooperation, all right? Like I'm cooperating together, sometimes it means partnership, to partner together, fellowship, koinonia means that. But sometimes the word fellowship is used for communion. In fact, we're going to take communion here in just a minute. And communion means, we call it communion because it means to be together, to be in intimate relationship with, to draw near to. When we take communion together, we are drawing into the presence of God and we're remembering the, the body of Christ and the death of Christ and how his death has paid for our sin. And we roll our cares on him and he rolls his grace into our life. That's what communion is. And he said, God's called you into this. Listen, no matter what your issues are, you can have communion with the Lord Jesus in the midst of it. Kind of like the hurricanes that have been coming through the southeast, right? They come whipping through all this damage, all this swirling debris, but in the middle of it all, there is peace. And that can be your life. You can even, in the swirl of all the issues that you're dealing with, you can experience the communion with the Lord Jesus, intimacy with him, his grace, and his peace. You know, this week I was, with a family from our church. Uh, they asked me to come to their house and pray with them. The husband has received a diagnosis that is not good. Uh, he had beat cancer once before, but now there are complications and, and it could be life-threatening. And he said, I just want you to come and pray for me with my family. And I said, I'd be happy to do that. So I went over to their house and um, he was there with his wife and, and uh, their grown kids and then all their grandkids were running around and uh, we all gathered together in the living room and, and the father began to speak. And he talked very openly about his diagnosis and what he was facing. But he looked right at his kids and, and particularly at his grandkids who were sitting there still eyes locked on him. And he said, now I don't want you to think that I'm afraid because I trust the Lord Jesus. He's already taken care of me once before. He's, he preserved my life up to this point. And I know that no matter what happens, he's going to take care of me and he's going to take care of you. And he said, I've just asked the pastor here to come pray for us because the scripture tells us to do that. And so, so we all gathered around him and prayed for him. 
And then after we prayed, he said, now let's all go into the kitchen. And so we all moved into the kitchen and he had laid out on the counter two loaves of bread and some cups with some juice in it. And he said, we're gonna take communion together. And so we took that loaf of bread and we broke it and we passed it around and everybody got a pinch of bread. And everyone was in a circle and we, we reminded ourselves of the death of Jesus and the love of Jesus and that he has saved us and he will take care of us to the very end. And we took communion together, we took the bread and we took the cup. And I just want you to know that in that circle, in that kitchen, the Lord Jesus met us there. That's the communion that he invites us into. We're gonna take communion in just a moment. But listen, no matter what issues you're dealing with right now, the Lord Jesus is faithful. And he wants to meet you in this place. You can trust him. You can roll your cares on him and receive his grace that's sufficient for today. Would you bow your heads with me for just a minute? Maybe you're here today and you've never given your life to Christ. You say, Craig, I don't know for sure that I'm, uh, that I know God like that. I don't know for sure that, that I will be found blameless when I stand before him. I don't, can't, you, you said, remember when you were saved. I can't remember when I was saved. I don't, in fact, I don't even know of a time that I can point to of when I've given my life to Christ. And my friends, today can be your day. This can be the moment. Why delay? Why put it off? The Bible says we've sinned against God. We're separated from him because of our sin. Christ came to die on a cross for our sin, the full and final payment. He rose again on the third day. He said, all who call on his name will be saved. Today is a day for you to be saved. This is the moment. You can always point to this moment that you've given your life to Christ. So I'm gonna pray a simple prayer of faith and maybe right where you are, you wanna pray that prayer with me. You wanna give your life to Christ. And with your heads bowed, I want you to just lift up your hand. If, if you wanna receive Christ today, say, Pastor, pray for me and I'll lead you in a prayer right where you're seated to trust the Lord Jesus. So right now, if you're here today, you wanna receive salvation through Jesus Christ, just lift up your hand and I will, I will see your hand and I'll lead you in a prayer right where you're seated. Lift up your hand right now. Pastor, pray for me. I need Christ in my life. Pastor, pray for me. I want to know for sure that I'm right with God. All right, thank you. Thank you. All right, all right, thank you. Anybody else? Pastor, pray for me. I need Jesus. All right. Okay. All right, you put your hands down now. Just right where you're seated. Just pray the simple prayer with me. The Lord knows your heart. It's no magic in the words. God looks at your heart. Just pray with me. Dear Lord, I know I've sinned against you. I know I've gone my own way. But I believe you died on a cross for me. I believe you rose again from the dead. And so I'm asking you now, please forgive me. I turn from my sin. I repent from my sinful ways and I turn to you, Jesus. Have mercy on me. Forgive me. Wipe me clean. Today I choose to follow you all the days of my life.